Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're here in this place. You're here in this house. And you're doing a new thing in this season, not just in our church, but in so many of our lives. And whenever you do a new thing, there's always this old part of us that wants to hold on. There's always this old part of us that wants to resist because it's scary stepping into the next, into the unknown. But I feel the word that you have for us today is to behold, I am doing a new thing. Be aware of it. Be present in it. Don't be so lost in the past or in the future, but be right here with me. And so today, I pray that you would begin birthing that new thing, not just in our community, but in our individual hearts. So we love you. We welcome your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Obviously, we are in a very transitional season of our church's life. A good chunk of people that we've been walking with, running with, are getting ready to move away or have moved away. I don't know if you know, but some people that used to go to our church are already on the other side of the United States. Um, But we weren't able to really say bye because we were doing everything virtually. There's a lot of transition happening. Doing life and community together looks different. At the same time, it's been cool to see new faces coming into our community, like Emily. There's uh, someone in our community named Ramsey, who we met for the first time on virtual community groups. And then a few weeks ago, we met her in person for the first time. And it was weird, like, you're actually a real person. It's so weird. I don't know, how to, I don't know what to do with all that. And maybe for some of you individually in your lives, it's a huge transitional season as well. Some of you are moving to new cities. Some of you are getting married. Some of you are starting new jobs, new endeavors, new things that God has birthed on your heart. And to add to all of that, we are transitioning, at least here in San Francisco, more and more out of a pandemic that we've been in for over a year And we're just trying to readjust to life. It's such a strange time, isn't it? And the question is, what do we do with all of this? How do we balance all of the intricacies and emotions that come with such newness and such transition in our lives? And the question is, what is God doing in the midst of it all? And as I've been praying about what I want to speak today as we conclude our creative minority collection, talking about how do we be the church in this cultural moment, I felt this, my heart being drawn to this one passage in Isaiah as we're confronted with transition and change, as we're looking to God in the midst of it all. And this is what I believe God is saying to our community. And so we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 through 19. And we're going to read uh, two versions of it. I love the ESV version, but because I'm also Asian, I love the MSG version. (laughs) A little slow. Y'all still catching up. It's okay. We've been in a pandemic. Verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. But behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, my favorite, the MSG version, the message version. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? 
there it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. The thing, whether you're here at 99, whether you're getting ready to move on, whatever you add, the thing that I feel like God is speaking to our people in this moment is that I am doing a new thing in our church, in our individual lives, and in this transitional season, if we're not careful, we may miss out on what God is doing if we don't pay attention to what he is saying and speaking. There's this um, story that's found in the Old Testament in Ezra. In the history of Israel, they were taken from their homeland and they were in exile for decades and decades as the Babylonians ransacked the entire city. They were left without a home, left without a national identity. But in Ezra, the people, the exiles, start coming back to their homeland. And as they're coming back, they're beginning to rebuild the city. They're beginning to rebuild the temple that used to stand there and house the presence of God. And we find this little unique portion of scripture in Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. It's not up there. I'll just read it. Just pay attention and follow along. This is how it goes. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. After spending decades in exile, the Israelites were finally home. And as they were coming back into their homeland, they were spending so much of their time, resources, and energy rebuilding the glorious temple that once housed the presence of God. And after completing it, they started to celebrate, they started to sing, they started to lift up shouts of joy. But there were a handful of people in the midst of all of that that remembered that they had been around when the former temple existed. And these people, they remembered how beautiful that old temple was. They remembered how their entire lives had centered around that very place. And at seeing the new temple, they began weeping because in their eyes... It just didn't compare to the old temple that they knew. I think in many ways, this story of ancient Israel mirrors a lot of what we're going through today. I mean, we've been in somewhat of an exile, haven't we? During this pandemic, it was a lot like an exile. We're displaced from normality. We're unable to come together as a family, disconnected from our communal identity. And many of us were stuck at home. But the sense of home felt so distant and so far off, even though we were there all the time. And as we're coming back, there's a sense that things just don't feel the same. Worship just doesn't hit the same way. Maybe it's because we don't have a drummer. You know, the drummer really adds a lot to the worship experience. Where are all the faces that I used to see every week? Where's the coffee? Like, why don't we have a coffee bar anymore? In a few weeks, I think we'll get it up. Things just don't feel the same, and it's because they aren't. And this doesn't just apply to church. Maybe you felt this in your workplace 
Or you felt this in your friendships, in your relationships. Maybe you felt this in the very rhythm of your life. I mean, how many of you, just by internal show of hands, were eagerly anticipating life after the pandemic, longing for life to go back to normal, and now that things are starting to reopen, as you're returning, you're starting to realize that things just aren't the same, that the normal that we once knew no longer exists. I think whenever God gets ready to do a new thing, there's always this temptation to want to resist what is new, to cling to what we've known instead of embracing the new thing that God is doing. And there's this temptation to long for the former temple instead of enjoying the new one. And church, hear me. I want you to hear this loud and clear. Our weeping for what used to be can keep us from experiencing the beautiful thing that God is doing right here and right now. One of my favorite theologians, Walter Brueggemann, he teaches about how when it comes to dealing with our past, most of us believers are caught somewhere in between amnesia and nostalgia. Somewhere between amnesia and nostalgia. Amnesia is forgetting too much, right? And nostalgia, on the other hand, is remembering too much. I don't know about you, but I'm always forgetting all the things that I should remember, and remembering all the things that I should forget. I mean, how many of you have ever gone grocery shopping and you have gone with the purpose, I know that I need to get this one thing, maybe it's flour or cereal or milk, and then you get there to Target or you get there to Safeway, you're walking around, and as you're walking the aisles, you start to see everything else. They're like, oh, I actually need to get this too. I need to grab this too. You leave, you go to checkout, you get home, and you realize you didn't even get the one thing that you went to the grocery store for. We remember all the things that we don't need to remember, and we seem to forget all the things that we should remember. Why do we always seem to forget that God has forgiven and redeemed us, yet we always remember and replay all of our mistakes and all of our failures again and again in our heads? And so amnesia is forgetting too much. But nostalgia is remembering too much. How many of you have ever heard the quote, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it? And so when we're talking about amnesia, sorry, not nostalgia, when we're talking about amnesia, we forget where we've come from. We forget what we've been through. We forget how God pulled through in our lives. We forget the people that helped us along the way. And this is why we celebrate when God pulls through in our lives. God, you are the God of breakthrough. Jaira, you are enough. You are so, so good. And literally the next day, God, where are you? How could you abandon me? Why aren't you speaking? Why aren't you moving? How easily we forget how how quickly we fall into amnesia. And the thing about amnesia, amnesia leaves a people without an identity. It's in our remembrance of what God has done in our lives that we're able to be the people of God, to believe that the God who did it before will surely do it again. And so amnesia is forgetting too much, but nostalgia is remembering too much. While people with amnesia can't remember the past, people who dwell in nostalgia can only remember the past. 
And because their minds are stuck in the past, they can't enjoy the present or hope for the future. Their day is filled with over-romanticized memories that paint the past as they'd like to remember it. They reminisce about the good old days. Come on, how many of you have people in your lives, or how many of you are guilty of comparing everything to how things used to be? Oh my gosh, remember the good old days when music used to actually be good? When hip-hop was actually words and not just random sounds? Remember the good old days when we used to play outside and enjoy nature instead of being glued to our smart devices? Remember the good old days when the Lakers were a championship basketball team, but now they're getting kicked out of round one of the NBA playoffs? Remember the good old days. Last week I was watching on HBO Max the Friends Reunion. And as I was watching the reunion, first of all, I thought some of them have aged pretty well. Some of them didn't age as well. But it's okay. We're all getting older. I mean, in two years, you're not going to recognize my face. After having a kid, I'm going to age so much. But I remember watching the Friends reunion, and I just went down this internal path of nostalgia. And after I watched it, I was thinking of all my favorite Friends episodes. And then I went on YouTube and I went down this rabbit trail of seeing clips from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Somehow I moved to Step by Step. And then I got to Doug. You guys remember Doug? And then I started watching Rugrats. And then somehow I got into Spice Girls. And then when we were driving a few days ago, I just turned on a playlist of Spice Girls. I was listening to different songs. And I just found myself engulfed in nostalgia. Nostalgia, and I was like, man, things used to be so great. Nostalgia is remembering too much. And honestly, it's scary, but this is the exact same thing that drives the make America great mentality, doesn't it? People are longing for an America that they remember and they love. But here's the dangerous thing about nostalgia. People who dwell in nostalgia often over-remember and over-romanticize the past. The Israelites, the ones that were weeping, they were remembering a Jerusalem that actually didn't exist. They remember the beauty of the temple and the presence of God, but they quickly forget about the great wealth disparities in Jerusalem between the privileged and the poor. They forget about the systems of corruption that existed in Jerusalem that only benefited a certain group of people, probably those who were weeping and longing for the old thing. The Jerusalem they remembered actually didn't exist. And honestly, people who shout, make America great again, remember an America that was great For them, but they yearn for the good old days, but quickly forget that those days were not all that good for everyone else. And us millennials, I mean, we're so, I mean, most of us are millennials. Aren't there any Gen Zs in the house? Okay, we got some Gen Zs, most of us millennials. We're horrible at this. You guys can make fun of us about this, but we are snobbishly nostalgic, I mean, you, we have millions of BuzzFeed articles just tapping into the nostalgic hot button of our hearts. I mean, we think we grew up with all the best stuff, which is actually kind of true, but honestly, a few years ago, I was re-watching some of my favorite movies growing up, and Space Jam was one of them, but I watched it again. Honestly, Space Jam is kind of trash. Hot take. I was, I was listening to Backstreet Boys the other day, and I was like, honestly, Backstreet Boys are kind of overrated. Not in sync, though, just the Backstreet Boys. 
We remember the good old days when church used to be so life-giving and fun. We remember the good old days when our relationships with our friends and our peers were closer than ever. We remember the good old days when work used to feel meaningful, like it mattered. But here's the thing. Nostalgia makes an idol of the past. We worship the memory of once, what once was instead of worshiping the God who is doing something new right here and right now. Nostalgia leaves us paralyzed and blind to what's happening all around us. We miss out on the very thing that God is doing at the moment. Church, very simple message today. God is doing something new, and I don't want us to miss it. In this new season, at least for, I can speak for our church, it can be so easy to compare everything to the way things once were. And for some of you that are moving, like Christine going to San Diego, you guys are going to Hawaii soon, so exciting. Maureen's getting married soon. It could be so easy where you go to the new place to compare where you're at to what used to be. Even here at church, remember at 99 when we all used to meet in that small little upper room, the office space, and we were all so tight and loving family? But y'all don't know, not everyone was tight, y'all. There were some people on the outside that your pastors had to walk with because they couldn't get in. Or remember the time when we used to be all about prioritizing, going after the presence of God and praying and worshiping? Reality, only 50% of y'all ever showed up to our worship and prayer nights, right? We over-remember and we over-romanticize the past. I know people who've had amazing church experiences in the past. Hopefully, y'all had an amazing church experience here, but when they move on to their next church, it's so hard for them to enjoy what God is doing right then and there in the community because they compare everything to what happened before. And they're unable to enjoy the new thing because their mind is still in the past. Some of you that are moving to new cities and new workplaces, entering into new relationship dynamics, maybe you felt the tension of what once was and what now is. Yes, things are different. Yes, things are changing. Yes, it's hard to let go of the past. But God is doing a new thing. And how sad would it be if we missed it? And so today, I just want to give you two action items. Very simple. It's drawn from the MSG version, the extra salty version of Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. It says, be alert and be present. Be alert and be present. So the first thing, be alert. I love the language in the MSG version. It says, it's bursting out. The new thing is bursting out, and maybe because I'm about to be a daddy, but I just imagine that baby Cho is up in that womb, and my beautiful wife, and he's getting ready in two months to burst out, right? It's just this imagery of a baby just bursting out. I know it won't be that. Anyway, but how many of you know that Before God births a new thing, there's always pain. I mean, we're all so excited for baby Cho to arrive, but baby can't come without mommy going through the intense experience of labor. I have so much respect for women that have given birth. It's a grueling process. It's a painful process. And the beauty of, of a baby being birthed is juxtaposed with this pain that comes through 
the process of labor. And we come to this realization that pain is an inevitable part of change and transition. Now, Christians, Maureen knows this because she studies this, are notoriously bad at dealing with pain. We throw Christian slogans and cliches at very real life experiences and expect people to get over it and move on. But what does hearing something like let go and let God mean to someone who's lost a family member to cancer? Or what does something like God is in control mean to someone who's just lost their job? It's not that those things aren't true. It's just that we're so quick to move on from our pain and move on that we actually never properly deal with it. And I think one thing our generation is coming to realize is that we cannot ignore our pain and hope to live healthy, holistic lives. The problem is, at least in the church, we've been trained to minimize our pain instead of facing it. Um, One of my favorite books that I read in the last decade is called The Emotionally Healthy Church by Peter Scazzaro. And he points out how most of us are unaware of how painful or traumatic even the slightest changes in our lives really are. We don't really realize how much the moving away of a close friend really affected us. We don't really realize how much that rejection from that company we applied for actually hurt. We don't realize what transitioning from one faith community to the next actually did inside of us. We don't realize how much that breakup scarred us emotionally. You know, before Chris and I got together, so it's a long story, but she used to date my best friend, okay? This was way back in college, over a decade ago. And I was the biggest fan, like in college, in that small group of friends, I was the biggest fan of their relationship. Like, I don't know if, but my entire understanding of love was wrapped up in this relationship succeeding. And so when they broke up, I didn't realize how much that affected me because it didn't just, it wasn't just them breaking up. All of a sudden, my entire paradigm of what love should look like was shattering before my very eyes. And I didn't realize how it had emotionally affected me. I don't know if any one of you are like that out there, but, but, but for some reason, the smallest things that we think don't affect us actually have a big impact in our lives. Even the most beautiful, positive changes impact us in ways that we don't realize, like moving to a new city with new opportunities but missing the things that you left behind. Getting into a serious relationship but seeing how your old relationships are changing. All these little changes in our lives happen, and we don't realize how much they actually affect us. And because we minimize their effect on our lives, we never properly deal with them. It affects how we experience the present, and it affects how we view the future. Now, Peter Scazzaro, he writes, he lists out some common defenses that we usually put up when we are confronted with, with pain. And if you guys know anything about Enneagrams, I'm an Enneagram type 7. My core motivation for life, get this, is to avoid pain at all costs. And so I, I'm, I'm built, I am wired. But for many of us, we put up one of these eight defenses whenever we're confronted with pain. I'm just going to go through it really quick. The first is denial. We refuse to acknowledge some painful aspect of reality externally, internally. For example, I'm fine. I'm not sad at all that the Lakers lost. I'm not sad that I got laid off. I'm not sad. I'm okay. Denial. Come on, how many of you have ever experienced that? Second, minimizing. We admit something is wrong, but in such a way that it appears less serious than it actually is. The breakup wasn't that bad. 
You know, I'm just crying into my pillow every night, but it's not that bad. There's worse things going on in the world. Minimizing. The third, blaming others. We deny responsibility for our behavior and project it out there upon another. The reason I feel stuck is because my city is a horrible city to live in, because my job is a horrible place to work, because the relationships that I'm in are horrible and life-draining instead of life-giving, and so we blame others. The fourth, blaming yourself. We inwardly take on the fault. It's my fault that my mom doesn't take care of me and drinks all the time. It's because I'm not worth it because something is wrong with me. The fifth, rationalizing. We offer excuses, justifications, alibis to provide an inaccurate explanation of what's going on. Did you know that John has a genetic disposition toward rage that runs in his family? That's why the meetings aren't helping him. The sixth, intellectualizing. We give analysis, theories, and generalities to avoid personal awareness and difficult feelings. My situation is not that bad compared to all the starving people across the world, all the suffering that the rest of the people in the world are suffering. What do I have to cry about? Just two more, distracting. I'm really good at this. We change the subject or engage in humor to avoid threatening topics. Oh, yeah, my life is going so bad, <laughs> right? Why are you so focused on the negative? Look at the great time we had as a family last Christmas. Our family's fine. And the last is becoming hostile. We get angry or irritable when reference is made to certain subjects. Don't talk about that. Don't talk about Joe. He's gone. It's not going to bring him back. I don't know if you could resonate with one or many. I resonate with all of these defenses when we're confronted with pain. But if we hope to enjoy the new thing that God is doing in the present, we have to reconcile with our past. And that requires us to be alert and aware of what's going on inside of us. It requires us to recognize and name our pain. It requires us to grieve and lament and process with God. I'm going to be real with you. Right now is one of the most exciting times in my life. I'm about to be a father. Can you believe it? Little Mickey running around like he's going to wreak a havoc. We just bought a new house in the city, in our old neighborhood, but still in the city. A new house, a bigger place, a bedroom for baby Cho. Church is reopening. We get to be around people, see faces. We get to enjoy life. I just bought a brand new pair of glasses that I'm picking up today. So many exciting things. This is one of the most exciting and joyful times in my life. But it's also, honestly, if I could be real with you, one of the most painful times in my life. People in our community that we've been walking with for years are moving away. They're transitioning to the next thing that God has for them. And don't get me wrong, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for Christine and Jay and Jasmine. So excited for Maureen to get married. I'm so excited for all of our people. I'm celebrating all the exciting things that God is doing in their lives. But I would be lying if I said I'm also hurting. And that's okay. Maybe some of you are feeling the exact same thing. Sometimes it's harder to be left behind than to go, isn't it? And even for some of you that are going, it's painful for you too. God doesn't tell us to ignore our pain or to ignore our past, but he calls us to bring it before him, to lay our pain in his hands. For many of us, we're eagerly rushing out of the pandemic without taking a second to think, how did this last year really affect me emotionally, 
mentally? Have I really processed how traumatic and painful this last year was? You know, one of the first things that we're going to be doing in our community groups this week is we're doing a post-pandemic examine. We taught y'all the spiritual discipline of examine prayer a few months ago, but it's basically going over your day and processing your day with God before you move on to the next one. What were you thankful for? What was hard? What were the emotions that were you feeling? What is God saying in the midst of it all? And so one thing that we're going to do in our community groups that I encourage you guys to do if you're not part of one is to do a post-pandemic examine to examine what really happened this last year and a half. What were some of the things that I experienced and that I felt? What were the hard moments? What was I thankful for? What was God doing in the midst of an all? Because in order to enjoy the new thing that God is doing, we have to face the pain of our past. So the first thing, be alert. And really quick, the second thing, be present. How many of you know there are two places the devil would love to keep your mind? The first is in the past. And the second is in the future. When you're dwelling in the past, your mind is so focused on what was that you can't enjoy what's happening right now. It's like you're physically here in the present. But in your mind, you're thinking of all the ways that the past used to be better. You're preoccupied with the former temple. To those people that are dwelling in the past, my challenge to you is to stop comparing right now to what was back then. And to be present and enjoy the moment. Enjoy what God's placed right before you right now. Ask God for a vision of what he's doing at this very moment. Celebrate what's before you instead of glamorizing what once was. But on the other end, when you're dwelling in the future, your mind is so fixated on what's next that you can't enjoy what's also in front of you right now. I know there's many of people here that are in the midst of transition, and my challenge to you, whether you're moving to a new city, moving to a new workplace, entering into a new relationship, my challenge to you is to dig your heels into the ground at this moment and just be present. Grab all that you can from what's right here in front of you right now before God takes you to what's next. You know, Chris and I, we've had the privilege of sending off many people from our church, all bittersweet moments. But still to this day, my favorite send-off was Sarah Wallach. We had Sarah preach at our church um, the first Sunday, of, one of the first Sundays of the year. But I remember the process of Sarah transitioning out of our community was one of our favorite experiences. And the reason why is she came to us and she's like, I feel God calling me back to L.A. I feel like God calling me back to my family. He wants to do something there. And so I just, I'm just getting ready to go. I want to transition. And so we were blessing her. We were praying for her. But the cool thing is, the following weeks, she still had a few months that she, ha- she was remaining with us before she moved. She dedicated herself to pouring into people, into community, pouring into the church, pouring into everything that God had placed before her in that very moment. Because in her mind, I'm going to dig my roots so deep that when I leave, I draw everything that I can out of the soil before I go. I think for many of us that live in transient cities like San Francisco, there's a sense that, that this is not our long-term dwelling place, Right? There's a few of us that are natives here that this is home for life, but I'd bet the majority of you that moved here to San Francisco, you understand in your mind that this is just one point in the journey of your life. 
I hope that many of you stay here long term, but, but that's just the mentality of a lot of people that move here to San Francisco. And what ends up happening is when you think that, okay, this is just one portion of my life and the next thing is coming next, sometimes what that causes us to do is we, we, we don't actually plant roots or invest where we're at right now. And we end up leaving without all of the fruit, all of the gold that could have come with us had we dug our heels into the ground and rooted ourselves. When you're rooted somewhere, it hurts when you're plucked from that place. You know, I'm not much of a gardener, but I imagine when you're repotting a plant, like the, the roots are like grasping to stay in the soil. But when you pull it out, it's a hard process. And my heart for every single one of you guys is that if you eventually do transition out of our church, out of our community, out of our city, that it hurts when you leave. That you had dug in so deep that it matters. It impacts our community. I mean, that's why even Christine, when she moved to San Diego, it hurt. That's why when Jay and Jasmine, they invested so much into our community, they really did well. And I feel like for us, when you're here right now, the challenge to you is to be present, to really dig your roots into the ground, really invest in the people and steward everything that God has placed in front of you. Be alert, be present, because God is doing a new thing. Church, in the season marked with transition and change, I don't want us to miss out on what God is doing. I mean, how sad would it be if baby Cho popped out of the womb, like burst out of the womb, and I wasn't there to see it? And I feel like for many of us, God is birthing something new in the midst of us. God is birthing new things in your individual lives, in your dreams. And I don't want us to miss it. What would it look like if we could truly be present in this season? To be alert and aware of what's going on inside of us and around us. And instead of getting hung up on the past or stuck in the future, what if we can enjoy what God's put in front of us right now? now. So I want to invite you into a time of response. Why don't you close your eyes as we wrap up here? There are three questions that I want to ask you. And I know many of us are in different places in our lives. And so if one of these questions or many of these questions resound with you, I want you to dig deeper into it. The first question is this, are there areas of pain that God is calling you to face? Are there areas of pain as you're embracing change, as you're embracing transition? Are there areas of pain that you have not given proper attention to? Are there parts that hurt, but you've minimized that pain to just move on? What are those things that are hurting Where are those areas of pain? And I feel like God is asking you, if that's you, would you surrender that pain to me right now? I know it's hard moving to a new place. I know it's painful. You can give me that. I know it's hard to feel like we're being left behind. You could give me that. I know the dynamics of my working relationships and my job are changing and it's hard and I'm struggling. You can give me that. Whatever pain is associated with the change and transition, why don't you offer it up to God right now? The second question I feel like God is asking, have you made an idol of your past? 
Have you over-remembered and over-romanticized what used to be so much so that it affects you from enjoying what's right in front of you right here and right now? That's you. Would you give up your idol of the past? Would you let go of the past so that you can embrace what God is doing in your present and what he's about to do in your future? And last question. What has God placed before you today? I'm not talking about next week or next month, but right here, right now, what's he placed in front of you today? Who has he placed in front of you today? Are you being a good steward of what God has placed right in front of you right now? Right now, I feel like God is calling some of us to make a commitment. I'm going to steward well. I'm going to be a good steward of what you've placed in front of me right here, right now.